Unscripted. Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here today. Thank you. I'm going to start today uh, with something I'm not sure I've ever done on this show. And it's uh, with a text from my wife that she messaged me, I guess. When? Um, yesterday. Okay. And she doesn't know I'm going to read it, but it's not, it, you know, it's not anything that's inappropriate. Um, <laughs> what it says is, the text was this. Seriously, Connor, we are not, all capitals, ever going to Australia. That was the message. And we haven't in been... In response to... Were you guys talking about Australia? No, no, we, no, we haven't been talking about going to Australia. That seems like a pretty random text message, last, if I may say so. Last time I talked about Australia was last week on the show when I was talking about... All and these... she didn't hear that broadcast and then respond? <laughs> no. Yeah. What she did is she sent me a TikTok video. Okay. Which uh, she does sometimes. And this was a TikTok video that went very, very viral, tens of millions of views. And what it shows is a snake. A very, very large snake. Some of our listeners may have seen this TikTok video, or it's the kind of video... When they go that viral, the way the news works is then it works its way into old-fashioned television. Where was the snake? Australia. Where was it found? Um, Don't tell me indoors. No, outdoors in the northeast. And imagine a suburban setting, and a family kind of walks outside, and they look up, and slithering from their roof over into a tree i mean it, it's it's bridging a gap there of a of a foot or two is a carpet python that according to the sensationalist tabloids out there is 16 feet long or more than 5 meters long Ven- venomous to boot no 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 these kill through constriction okay and then eat their prey they're not venomous you don't want to get bitten because of bacteria but they're not venomous mm-hmm. so this family stands out there and they film the whole thing and the snake just keeps going and going and going oh, and it's like oh my god australia this is these are like these animals are going around um that's not typically enough for us to discuss a topic like this on the show i don't tend to source my science news from from tiktok at least no. not at this point but the reason i bring it up is it was just a coincidence Here's this huge python going viral, and in the same week, a science news story went viral about exactly the same kind of snake in a different part of, Austra- of Australia. Uh, so first, that first snake was up in the northeast. Down in the southeast um, was the story of, of a woman. Gabe, I don't know if you caught this story, but you may have seen a headline about a worm in someone's brain. Mm-mm. No? A worm and a brain. A worm and a brain. So in January of 2021, a 64-year-old woman presented, I don't know if she went to the hospital or her local doctor said, look, I've got abdominal pain, I've got diarrhea, this dry cough, fever, night sweats. It's been going on for three weeks. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened at that visit, but I think she went home. 2022, and now she has depression, forgetfulness, something's something's messed up with my head. Something is going on here. I don't like where this is going. Nobody does. (laughs) Nobody did. Oh, my God. And so... It was a carpet python? It's connected to the carpet python. Well, what was it, man? So she <laughs> uh, she, she gets an MRI. Yeah. They took a look at her brain because something's going on. We don't know what it, what it is. Mm, something abnormal. We're not really sure. Yeah. And they end up um, doing surgery. And the neurosurgeon comes running around the corner to Dr. Sanjaya Senanayaka, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and said, quote, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what I just found in this lady's brain. And it's alive and wriggling. By the way, I should be very clear here. I'm I'm 
really leveraging the good journalism of Melissa Davey, who writes for the uh, the Guardian. She's a medical editor there. Mm-hmm. Really good article on this if you want to look it up. A wriggling roundworm. It was eight centimeters long. That's three inches, and they pulled it out of her brain alive. So there are a lot of roundworms out there. So many that if you go to your local drugstore right now, you can find medicine in case you have roundworms coming out of your stool. This happens um, kind of like lice at, mm-hmm. at schools. These infections go around and then you take the medicine and it gets out of your kids. But they're not commonly found in the brain. They're not. And so they sent this off at this point at a hospital in Canberra. So they sent it off. They said Canberra is a small place. So we sent the worm, which was still alive, straight off to the laboratory of a scientist who is very experienced with parasites. And this is, here comes my favorite quote in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He just looked at it and said, quote, oh my goodness, this is Ophidiscaris robertsi. Um, This is a parasite that infects those snakes, that lives within those snakes. Ah. And this is the first time anyone has ever found it in a human being. They had found it back in 2014 ah. in, in another animal, but never before in a human being. And so what they figured out is that this, this woman, the 64-year-old woman, yeah. she lived near a lake where these yeah. carpet pythons also lived. Yeah. And she went outside, how frequently I don't know, and collected native grasses, waragal greens, uh, which apparently is like spinach. It's like a, an Australian spinach. Yeah. And then she'd go and, and eat it. And okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm not casting any blame. I don't know if she rinsed it. It's possible that she rinsed. Consumed the, the worm. And then it. In the excrement. Wriggled its way into her brain. In the, in the excrement of the python. So the way this usually works is the python poos it out. It's in the feces. Mm-hmm. The, the larva. And then other animals come around, marsupials, and they eat those leaves. And so they get infected, and then the snakes see this these marsupials, like, I'm going to eat you. Eat them, yeah. And then the whole cycle continues. So back in 2014, it was a, a sugar glider, which is like a, a possum that can glide, yeah. if you like that image. I guess, yeah. And um, in that case, I don't know what the circumstances were. I clicked into the, the article, the, the, the uh, research paper, yeah. and somehow they had a sugar glider close enough to captive pythons that the sugar glider got infected. In that case, the worms ended up in the heart and kind of in the abdomen. But somehow in this woman, it got inside of her and then ultimately migrated up toward her brain and got into her brain. So she's recovering. It seems like she's going to be doing fine. Mm -hmm. The doctor went on to say she's so courageous and wonderful. You don't want to be the first patient in the world with a roundworm found in pythons that's then, you know, found inside your body or in your brain. Of course you don't want that, no. That's not, I don't think anyone wants that. Uh-uh. She's been wonderful, is what they said. Yeah. Um, but a lot of important information, This was, the reason this is a story now, because it all kind of happened a year or two ago, is that the CDC published its paper on it in the Journal of Emerging Infectious Diseases. And there they remind everyone... Don't eat grass? or. Well, there they're saying, hey, remember, three-fourths of all emerging infectious diseases come from animals. That's where they come from in the first place. And secondly, and uh, this is me looking up more information from the CDC because that's exactly it. Like, how, how risky is this? Obviously, most of our listeners don't live in Australia. Some of them do. Hmm. Hello from Germany. Uh, but for all the rest of you out there, it's great. I think it's almost trendy right now that you go outside and you, you, know, you hack up some, some lettuce or, or whatever. You grow it in your own garden. Clean it off. Um, Rinse it off at I'm gonna, least. I'm going to go through what the CDC says. The best thing you can do is rinse it off first and foremost. The best thing you can do is cook it. So there you're going to kill just about everything on there. If you're not going to cook it, if you're making a salad, wash your hands for 20 seconds with soap and water before and after preparing the leafy greens. 
because it's possible the leafy greens are clean, but when you touch something outside, now you're making them dirty. Um, get rid of any torn or bruised leaves. Also get rid of the outer leaves of cabbages and lettuce heads. Rinse the remaining leaves under running water. Use your hands to gently rub them. Get rid of germs and dirt. Dry leafy greens with a clean cloth or paper towel because it's not just about parasitic infections. That's what we're talking about here. It's also about bacteria like salmonella. It can be a bird flying overhead that drops something on the stuff you're about to eat. It can be E. coli. And if it's not, if it's not I don't know, lettuce that you've grown yourself, but you've bought it in a package, it could be that there are pesticides or other things that happen from the you know agricultural side of things. Rinse your raw veggies. Yeah, and it's not just about you. I mean, this could be the start of the, the newest zoonotic disease that turns into a global pandemic. This is absolutely not going to happen. There, the CDC was clear. Okay. So this is not, this happened in a really specific way. So like half the world's not going to have worms She's, in their brains? Unless... I don't even want to go <laughs> how that would spread from her to other people, but it's not a pandemic, but it's still a good idea to keep yourself safe by rinsing every raw vegetable and lettuce that you eat. Speaking of the pandemic, Connor, we got an email from Kevin. He wrote, good morning. Have you taken a look at this? Uh, whoa. What, what? Whoa, Kevin. He sent a link to a study uh, by a guy named Zacharias Fogen. F-O-E or Fogen? Kind of a German, German, German sounding name. It's called the Fogen Effect, a, a mechanism by which face masks contribute to the COVID-19 case fatality rate. Contribute. Contribute. Meaning face masks would... Well, he was looking at Kansas at the end of 2020 uh, where there were excess deaths clearly due to COVID-19. And he was looking, this guy, Fergan, was looking into whether that was caused by people wearing face masks, the deaths. That's the opposite of what I would assume would be the case, and what it, but right. what did you well, find? Yeah, and and Kevin Kevin said that he was skeptical. He said that, and then uh, I had a look, and it, somebody on the internet, you know, had a look for me. This is Iria Carballo Carbajal, if I'm pronouncing that right. And you're the, you're the Spanish speaker here. Sounds Sounded okay. Sounds okay. She is a, a fact checker for healthfeedback.org. It's a nonprofit looking separating fact from fiction in media, medical media coverage. Mm. She's got her PhD from neuroscience here in Tübingen, so this this is legit. And she looked at it and said that this is absolutely incorrect, false, this Fergan effect. Uh, quote, this is what Fergan himself said, right? So this is the original study looking into whether masks caused these or in so part caused these deaths. You're about to repeat a falsity. Yes. Quote, mask use might pose a yet unknown threat to the user instead of protecting them making mask mandates a debatable epidemiologic intervention. The cause of this trend is explained herein using the Fergan effect, that is, deep re-inhalation of hyper-condensed droplets, or pure virions, caught in face masks as droplets can worsen prognosis and might be linked to long-term effects of COVID-19 infection. Hold on a sec. His name is Fergan? Yeah. And he called it the Fergan effect? He called it that. I'm going to Self, investigate something self-claimed, and then name it after myself. Mm -hmm. The idea that if you had a virus or bacteria or fungus or any sort of pathogen and it happened to get, tra happened to get trapped in your mask, that therefore it's, the effect is enhanced. I mean, it, th there's a, a quantifiable number of those virus particles or those bacteria. It, Whether they get in or not. Yeah. And then, I, don't, and, I don't think that the, the intensity okay. is being multiplied by the mask. 
Right. And th- okay. this was this was his that's what he posited his, his theory. And Irea looked into it um and yeah, she's it's it's, it's incorrect. This and this is the the explanation that that is on this healthfeedback.org. Articles claiming that mask wearing worsens COVID-19 and causes more deaths are based on flawed ecological studies that don't provide evidence supporting such claims. So they are cherry picked. Yeah. They're they're offering claims and they're not backing Forget them it. up Forget with it. evidence. A reminder to everyone out there: if you see, well, yeah, be skeptical always. Uh, that's that's I think a, a a good way to look at any new information presented to you. And also, if there's somebody who's the single author of of a, of a paper who's mm-hmm. naming the effect after himself, that would increase my skepticism. And it's nice to have these fact checkers out there. Then you, we don't have to we don't have to figure. Thank you, Iria. Yeah. So, Kevin, th- thanks for getting in touch, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What else we got? Oh, for, for, t- for the type 1 diabetics out there, including me, this next one uh, is, is good news. And for, um, for music lovers as well? Ty- for type 1 diabetics and music lovers, that, that's not a pairing you often hear? Well, I'm, you know, I'm in a music guy, so this, make, this is even more yeah, for me. Yeah, that's true. All right, l- let me just get, this, get through this quick. Uh, scientists in Basel have come up with a way to inject insulin using music right no no right there's no comma right <laughs> right isn't that obvious what you 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 fill the speakers with needles you turn up the bass no 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 they produced insulin producing cells in in the lab and they put those cells inside a capsule implanted them inside the body oh and then stimulated them using sound waves to secrete that insulin outside of the capsule into the body, thus doing the same thing that I do with a needle five times a day, injecting the insulin into my body that I need to survive. They're doing it with music. The capsule's in your body, but yeah. it, it has a, a finite amount of... It has an... Yeah, it has a... Exactly. The, 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 the exact amount of insulin that you need for three, mail, three meals a day, it's inside the <gasps> capsule. Oh, you've swallowed it. It's well. It's 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 under the skin. Okay. Okay. So it's subcutaneous. It's under your skin, and the insulin gets out by being stimulated by audio waves, sound waves. What's the advantage? I mean, you're you're someone who has to poke a needle into into himself multiple times a day. Yeah. How how is it? I mean, how often do you have to slide a new capsule under your skin? That would be yeah. That that's for future use. This okay. is only okay. for it's testing the ability to. To get the insulin outside of the capsule, yeah, using yeah. music. Yeah, that, this this was the the new the novel part about this study. Proof of concept. It is a proof of concept. They they did it on mice, and and to to be fair, it was a little bit unfair to the mice. They they strapped them to speakers and had the music play directly onto the the mouse, and not all types of music worked well. I'm gonna I'm gonna play you four different types of music. Can you bear with me? <laughs> yes. The, this first one. Um... Uh, one of my my least favorite Beethoven yeah. piece. I know he wrote it for Elisa. Which... Did, yeah, for Elisa. It didn't. It, that didn't work well. I, I just found out the, the, su- the next. The next. Sorry, piece... real, real quick. Just found out this summer that it wasn't really for Elise. I found that out at the Beethoven Museum in Bonn. Well, who was it for? I forget. But they think they got the name wrong. <laughs> Does that music work? 
For Gertrude? Wouldn't <laughs> it was close. It was like for Sophia or something. I forget, though. <laughs> Let, let's see if the, the next piece of music is a little better. Eagles. <laughs> oh, this means, yeah, what happens if you don't like the music that you the need to secrete hold the on, insulin? Hold on, this next piece did a lot better. Not the best, but way better. There's a place in your heart, and I know that it is love. Thematically fits as well, right? Heal, heal, heal. heal the diabetics in the yeah, world. Thematically fits. Yeah. Okay, we got a fourth? Yeah, the, the best of all. And this one worked really well. Buddy, you're a boy, make a big knife, playing in the street, gonna be a big man someday. Oh, man. I mean, that would just... Oh, so it's, it's, even, well, it forget, turns, forget the insulin. If you, ha if you have to hear that song three times a day, you're going to be you in imagine, a way better mood. Could you imagine hanging out with me? I mean, you spend all your time with me five times a day... <laughs> And you that, that came on, when and you, then you knew that I was getting my insulin. You would have to lie down on the speaker in this case. Well, I would and have to be have vibrating. The, you know, yeah. I'd have to have it either strapped to my stomach or. So I'm assuming these basal scientists, uh, doctors, they're they're looking toward a future where you could have what a capsule in your body, yeah, permanently, semi-permanently. Yeah, and then you would have whatever hertz, fifty hertz, whatever that that bass, boom, boom, something comparable to that because that worked really well 70% of the insulin in that last piece the uh, the queen was secreted within five minutes and all of it was out within 15 minutes compared to almost nothing with for fear Elise, a little bit better with Hotel California and that and, would uh, that would Jackson did a good job too <laughs> that would not require the capsule to have any sort of digital or electronic component to do it on its own it would be Right. It would no, just... it, it, and it only it's it's safe because it only responds to that mechanical stimulus because they they played airplane sound, lawnmowers, fire engine sirens, conversations that didn't work at all. Only just... this very specific frequency. Two weeks ago, worked uh, about a, a kilometer away, about a half mile away. Yeah. there was a Queen cover band playing outside here and I guess they would have to address the risk yeah that if you happen to be at a concert that you're in, you're not getting dose after dose after dose of, of it would have to be right on yeah. wherever yeah. The, uh, the 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 Sub the capsule yeah. the capsule is anyways great news for diabetics and queen lovers out there <laughs> yeah we got to get out of here Tom. yes we do all right well thanks yeah no thank you Gabe no thank you and I thank you. Um, wash your Thanks to the listeners and, and keep the emails coming like heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah please do. We are su at dw.com. There's a place in your heart, and I know that it is love. And this place was brighter than tomorrow. And if you really try, you'll find there's no need to cry. There's no hurt or sorrow There are ways to get there If you care enough for the living Make a little space Make a better place Heal the world I think a lot of people 
are familiar with the idea that if you've got a lot more money or you're making a lot more money, that you probably cause more greenhouse gas emissions through your activities somehow. Like I, th I think that's known. Or that you have more power to change things. As well, yeah. Yeah, but I think still once in a while you're, you're shocked by what the data actually shows. And this is one of those cases. It's a study from the University of Massachusetts in the United States on the disparity between who's causing greenhouse gas emissions. And I wouldn't have been too interested in it if it was just that. But this particular study also looks at a kind of novel way of how to fix that. Science Unscripted. Hi, I'm Jared Starr. I'm a sustainability scientist at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And together with some colleagues, I recently published a piece on the income distribution and carbon emissions and how those two things relate. Jared, what was the primary conclusion of your research on, on CO2 and, and wealth? I think the primary conclusion was that there was an incredible skew to this uh, emissions distribution when you look at it in terms of income. So the top 10% of American households in terms of income are responsible for about 40% of our carbon emissions. The top 1% alone of American households, so the richest, uh, highest earning 1% of households, were responsible for about 15 to 17% of emissions. And just to give you some context there, that's more than the bottom half of the income distribution. So you've got 1% of the income distribution, the very top 1%, creating more emissions than the bottom half of U.S. society. So I'm sitting here listening to my radio, Jared, and I'm trying to make sense of what you're saying. Can you, can you give me a visual for how unequal things are, the, the disparity? What, what are we looking at? I can, yes. So if, if you think about the um, poorest 10% of the population in the U.S., so the, the lowest earning 10% of the population, their annual carbon emissions are about uh, 1.6 tons per year. And uh, if we imagine those as being the size of an average U.S. home, the carbon emissions from the top 1% would be like stacking five Empire State Buildings on top of each other. And then the carbon emissions from the top 0.1% uh, of the U.S. population would be higher than Mount Everest. So just to give you a sense of scale of disparity there, that's what we're talking about. We are talking to you, Gabe and I, from a studio that is like a 45-minute drive, probably, from the biggest open brown coal excavation pit I've ever seen. What is it called, Gabe? Gartzweiler. Gartzweiler 1 and 2. It looks <clears throat> like a scar on planet Earth. I believe you can see it from space. And yet the people who are working there in the most gigantic excavators I've ever seen, I don't blame them for working there. And I, I think if they were to listen to you right now, they'd be like, come on, man, it's a job. That's all I'm doing. I'm just doing my job. I'm just making some money. And so how do, how do we square this? Because I, like I said, I don't blame that excavator. But how do we change, <laughs> change this, I don't know, 40%, 10% gap? How do we make this better? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So I think that, the, um, you know, as consumers, we have limited ability to uh, choose always the products and services that our economy um, provides. As people looking for work, we also have limited, you know, opportunities to choose the profession that we want sometimes. And that particularly becomes true the, on the lower end of the income distribution. There's, there's often less choices there. And so I think our attention really needs to be on the investor class and how we can shift their behavior. If we can provide the right incentives to investors, I think um, they will, if we make it unprofitable to create carbon emissions, they will find other ways to profit. I'm going to take off my journalist hat 
and change my name from Connor to Cornelius. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, <laughs> okay. I'm worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and I'm about to make some big investments. I don't care about the planet. I want money. How does your investment carbon uh, incentives, which I think means tax, how does it stop me from making investments, or dis how does it discourage me? for making investments in oil fields and natural gas and fossil fuels. Or that big pit outside here in Germany. Yeah. Because if, if Cornelius is going to make money on that pit, then of course he's going to invest in it. Yeah, stop. Well, what would your carbon tax do? <laughs> uh, great question, uh, Cornelius. Um, so, so um, yeah, so right now the current economics of it would have, would have nothing to say basically in terms of um, if you make that money by... Uh, creating more carbon emissions or not. And so I think one area that would be good to look at is putting in a carbon tax that reflects the carbon intensity, like how much carbon is needed um, and used by each uh, sector of the economy. And so what a sort of carbon tax like this would do is that for a company like uh, the, the coal pit you described or you know an oil field, there'd be a higher carbon tax associated with it. So as an investor, you would receive a signal um, that this has a cost associated with it. Let's say it's 100 basis points, like a 1% uh, tax added on there. That begins to make other investments look more attractive because um, you're looking at your overall returns. And let's say you're totally ambivalent about how you make that money. You'll be happy to make it in a different sector of the economy if we have the right signals in place to tell you that that's where you should invest your money. But again, at the end of the day, Jared, you're, you're, then, you're hoping that human beings will make the right choices then until... This tax is implemented and put in place. You're hoping that people don't act in accordance with their own greed to want to make the most out of their money with their investments. Is that the way it's going to be until the tax is there? There's, you don't need a tax to start. If you're an investor and you want to make more responsible choices, you don't need a tax right now to convince you to do that. You, you can begin doing that right now. Um, but I think at the societal level, I think... We have a responsibility. I think the government has a responsibility to investors to send the right signal to investors about um, about where money should flow, and it cannot keep flowing into um, high carbon intensive industries if we're going to have a habitable planet. So that's sort of at the end of the day, I end at the idea of you know, thirty, twenty, ten years out, we can't be having these same discussions. We have to decarbonize our economy, and so. One of the ways we can do that, I think, is by um, sending the right economic signal to investors to um, decarbonize their investments and make money a different way. And that was Jared Starr speaking to us from Boston. I think the University of Massachusetts is in Boston. Right? I, I, you know, I didn't. It's got to be. I didn't look that up. <laughs> I was too busy uh, making my investments as Cornelius the, yeah, the the top hatted, uh, uh, I don't know, magnate of some sort. I guess I'm wondering who this who this study is directed at. Us, our listeners. In at the end, I know, I know. So that they know, so that they know, so that they get, like you said at the top. You know, of course, you probably figure that the rich are the ones who are doing most of the emitting. Now we have, you know, proof. Well, we we know it, and. Before this study, look, it, it's really easy to feel helpless out there. You need things to happen at the polit political level. They take time or they're not happening. What can I do? Well, you can, you can be, you have to be aware of it. I know the numbers now and I know one of the proposed solutions. I even have memorized 
the term. Mm. It's an investor-faced carbon tax. I can see the next time you're at one of these cocktail parties that you oh, go to, oh, where, the, where the weenies are being passed around. I think it's time for an investor-facing, yeah, that's what it was, investor-facing yeah. carbon tax. No. I know that phrase now, and that's power. That is, I'm, I'm serious. Mm. That's power. Yeah, that's the power that also the, the wealthy have to make a change, right? That's where it's going to come from, right? Look, we've, if a change is going to be yeah, made with regards yeah. to emissions and, and, and curbing it all, it's going to come from those with power, i.e. those with money. Right, and they're not all... And the way to get them to change is by implementing a tax on them. That's where it gets difficult. Well, it's easy to it's yeah, it's easy to look at them and paint them all in one color and say they're all these these terrible greedy people, just like your neighbors. I didn't do that. Just well, no, no, I'm just saying it's it's an easy target. And just like everyone else you know in life, it's probably more nuanced than that. There're probably plenty, plenty plenty of people who've made money and who are like, "Ah, yeah, I wish I did, I you know, I hadn't contributed to that. I didn't want to. I was just trying to trying to make a buck." Mm. This is a way for them to also I don't know, start changing things. Because if you, if, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're hoping that human beings will all do it on their own and be good people about it, not sure about that. We need some, we need some rules, probably. Politics. Yeah. Laws is what you're saying, right? Ultimately. Oh, boy. That's it for uh, this topic. It's a huge topic. So huge. It's kind of overwhelming to even start talking about it. But it's, our listeners out there, you have asked us to do these things, to talk no, about we them. get emails all the time. You guys, are, you guys are telling us the world's burning. Why don't you talk about something that's important? Well, here it is. Yeah, this is it. There you go. This is it. Are you happy now? If you have questions, ideas, things we should have asked but didn't ask, or other ways of solving possibly the biggest crisis of our time that faces all of us and kind of unites us, we're SEO at DW.com. Science Unscripted.